This is episode number 18 with Dave Asprey. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dave Asprey is the founder and CEO of Bulletproof, a high-performance coffee and food company and the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, the host of the Webby award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio, one of my favorite podcasts, and a New York Times best-selling author. Dave provides groundbreaking techniques to give you control of your biology so that you can reach a state of high performance. I was first introduced to Dave and the Bulletproof Way of Life in 2014 by our mutual friend Crosby Taylor, who's also been on the show. Now, since then, I have been living the Bulletproof lifestyle. And before 2014, I'd never drunk coffee in my life and I was scared to death of fats. But after devouring everything that Dave has put out in the world, his books, his podcasts, and loads of other experts, I'm convinced. And I've never felt better. In this episode today, we chat about how mold affects your health. Dave's journey from being a Silicon Valley entrepreneur to a biohacking pioneer, his epic discovery about fat, how he created Bulletproof Coffee, how fat can make you lose weight, how to hack your hunger, how to be a fat burner and to burn fat, the ketogenic diet, why it works and how to implement it into your life, how to get your body baby ready, how to become smarter, how to boost your energy, plus so much more. You are going to love this episode. I could have spoken to him for hours. Oh my goodness, he's just amazing. And I'm so excited for you guys to dive in. So everything that we mention in the show, you can get in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 18. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I just can't wait with the one and only Dave Asprey. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Melissa, I'm really happy to be here. Before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning. I'm sure I can guess, but let's hear it. I had a, a giant piece of cheesecake, uh, deep fried. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you thought I was going to say. I'm pretty predictable, and I have been predictable for a long time. I had a big cup of Bulletproof coffee. This morning, because I'm currently gaining muscle, I added some protein, and the protein I added was the Bulletproof collagen protein from grass-fed cows. So it was butter, brain octane oil, and the bulletproof coffee beans. I did have lunch, although I didn't really, I wasn't hungry for lunch. I just figured it was time in my calendar to have lunch. So I did have lunch, which was grass-fed beef stew with fennel, uh, brain octane, butter, and a big salad. 
Mm, delicious. Well, it is 8 a.m. here in Australia, so I have just had my bulletproof coffee and I am ready to go. <laughs> awesome. Before we dive into chatting about becoming leaner, smarter, and boosting your energy, I actually wanted to just tell you a little bit about where I am right now. I am currently in one of my best friend's little daughter's bedroom. So I'm sitting at like a tiny chair and a tiny (laughs) desk and I've got dolls all around me and I've got like pink girly stuff around me. Turn on video. We have to see this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason why I'm here is because we had to evacuate our house last week due to a serious mold issue. And I know you can relate to this. And I wasn't, I didn't even want to talk about mold with you in this interview, but my husband has had serious toxic mold in the past from living in a very, very moldy apartment for about two years. And he also was dealing with Lyme's disease. A combination of that and that was this perfect storm for him to end up bedridden for three years and unable to work. So it's been incredibly rainy and humid here in Australia over the last few weeks, and it's just been the most perfect breeding ground for mold. So we actually had to evacuate our house. We can't go back in there. We are throwing out pretty much everything, and we are moving. After this interview, I'm moving house right after this. Uh, Melissa, I have to thank you for two things. Number one, thanks for getting yourself and your family out of your house because most people, when this happens, the mold like whacks your mitochondria and you just don't have enough energy to just do anything. So you just sit there and get worse and worse. So that's the first, well done. But the second one is thanks for the amount of patience you have because I've seen countless couples where mold in a house, which is a direct mitochondrial poison, it affects one partner differently than the other. And it can put real relationship strain because one person's like, I don't feel it, even though they're having problems that that are are different problems than their partner. So kudos to you for just having patience and understanding to to understand, okay, three years of there's something biological and now you know, and now you have control. Totally. And he has the double mold gene. And so for him, he has all the symptoms that you talk about in your documentary, Moldy, their brain fog, everything. And so, yeah, he's been through a lot and I just feel for him so much because it doesn't affect me as much. But we're out of there now. I am actually going back into the apartment today in a space suit with the full mold mask, which was almost $1,000 to get all of our stuff out. He can't do it. So I'm going to be going in there to do it after this interview. When we filmed Moldy, the documentary, the entire film crew and I went into a mold damage building and wearing spacesuits like the one that you'll be wearing. It was really interesting because at the end of two hours of filming, everyone was zombified, including all the people who thought I was nuts. So the young, tough guys carrying cameras uh, like you have for a documentary, they just figured out Dave's a delicate flower. But when they, even with the respirators, when they felt it, they're like, oh, and and all of them were just down for, for the night. And they bounced back really quickly. And it took me about two days before my brain worked again. There was a time when an exposure like that for someone 
who's been poisoned by mold before, your body goes haywire and it can take weeks or even months before you get your brain all the way back. The stuff is in half of houses at some degree or another and it triggers cancer and metabolic dysregulation and all these weird forms of anxiety and cognitive problems, even psychiatric problems. And people think they're random, but it's an environmental variable. It's one of the many that affects your mitochondria and affects your brain and, and the very root of who you are. So I, I think it's... It's a, an amazing display of patience and kindness uh, that you know you were able to to have empathy when you're not feeling it. At least you might have you know a headache here or a headache there, but but nothing that seems big. And the person right next to you is completely feeling it. We're all different, but all of us benefit when the environment is dialed in for for us to live the longest and have the most energy. Mm, and I will put the link in the show notes to your documentary because it's not really taken very seriously here in Australia. Same with Lyme's disease. They're not taken seriously, which is such a shame. So I'm really grateful for the work that you've done with the documentary and all of your work. It's If I didn't have the knowledge that I have from you, learning a lot from you actually over the past few years, I probably would have, you know, just been like one of those other people and gone, oh, you know, it's not that bad. I can live with it. So I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you've done. Well, that that really, like, that just touches my heart that the reason I did the documentary, the reason I started this is that I went through a lot. Like, I had Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. I was 100 pounds overweight, cognitive dysfunction, arthritis, Hashimoto's. Like, my biology was wrecked. I grew up in a basement that had toxic mold in the walls, nosebleeds 10 times a day, frequent bruising, rashes, asthma, like... Uh, OCD, <laughs> ADT, all of those are tied to mold and they're also tied to mitochondria. And the, the funny thing is, throughout all of even pre-recorded history, like the first life forms on planet, there's fungus and there's bacteria and they've been at war ever since. And what I found in writing Headstrong, uh, my new book, which is all about mitochondria, inside your body, inside your husband's body, inside mine, each of us has about a quadrillion ancient bacteria. They're called our mitochondria, and, and they're a part of our cells now, but they're still bacteria. They freak out when there are toxins made by mold, their ancient enemy for billions of years, that are floating around, poisoning them, making it so that they don't work very well. And it's that that triggers anxiety, but it's the poisoning of the way the bacteria work that's, that just takes the energy out of you and causes inflammation and autoimmunity. And it, it sounds kind of crazy, but it makes sense. When you look at that, it's an ancient war between mold and bacteria, and we are powered by a quadrillion bacteria. Mm, absolutely. And you touched on, you know, a little bit of your background and what you've been through health-wise. And you were a Silicon Valley entrepreneur to now this biohacking pioneer. So you you spoke a little bit about what you've been through health-wise, but how did you get here? I've been a disruptive technology guy my whole life, and I don't know why, but I'm the first person to sell anything over the internet. At the ripe old age of like 22 or 23, before we invented the word e-commerce, I literally was the first e-commerce on the planet didn't realize it was impactful at the time. I was just trying to pay for my tuition <laughs> while I was studying computer science. And I ended up becoming, uh, by the time I was done studying computer science, I hit 300 pounds. And my healthy weight is somewhere around 200 pounds, depending on how much muscle mass I'm, I'm carrying. So 
that had been plaguing me and torturing me. And I worked out six days a week, an hour and a half a day. And I cut my calories, I cut my fat, and I used all my energy and all my willpower. And I couldn't lose the weight. And eventually, after all that working out, I didn't lose a pound. I was stronger, but I just got frustrated. I'm sitting at a Carl's Jr. I'm having a salad with no dressing, and all my thin friends are eating onion rings and cheeseburgers and all. <laughs> and I just realized it's not me. It's it's not that I'm failing because I didn't try hard enough. It's just that it doesn't work. Like like I'm I'm following advice that's crap. <laughs> so I. I realized I was going to have to solve this for myself. And I stopped believing things that I had believed and said, I'm going to test them because I am equipped to see what works. We all are. And I, fortunately, by the time I was 26, at the company that held Google's very first server when Google was just getting started, I was a co-founder of a portion of that company. And I... I made $6 million and I decided nothing on earth matters more than losing this weight and making my brain work because I was getting cognitive dysfunction. I, I was afraid. I started taking smart drugs. I bought disability insurance in my mid twenties and the doctors told me before I got my insurance, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, maybe it's just me, but like, I feel like, like something isn't right. It turns out that I had moved into another place that had toxic mold, and it was affecting me, but that wasn't the only thing. It was one of many environmental variables. So I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I spent about 15 years. I became the, the chairman of an anti-aging nonprofit uh, that does education and research around how we can live a long time. I met some of the world's top functional medicine practitioners and researchers and got to know them and learn from them. And eventually I became an expert in managing and hacking my own biology to the point that I've raised my IQ and I, I run the world's highest end executive brain training facility in Seattle called 40 Years of Zen. And I started it just so I'd have the best brain hacking technology to use on my own head. And I have a biohacking facility where I live now that has all sorts of equipment that allows my body to do things that it never would have done on its own. And things like like heal faster and lose weight faster or put on muscle faster in less time and just to reach states that were really hard for me to do. And I realized about oh five, six years ago, I was a vice president in charge of global evangelism at a publicly traded computer security company. That's what we call a hacker, like a real hacker. And I, I started blogging just on the idea that if someone had told me this stuff when I was 16, I wouldn't have stretch marks right now. I still have a ton of stretch marks when I was fat. Don't know how to hack those. And I wouldn't have had three knee surgeries. And I just wouldn't have spent all this money and time. And I wouldn't have struggled and suffered the way I have. So I started writing and saying, maybe if I can reach five people and they see this, it'll totally change their life. And it turns out more than five people paid attention. And each month I reach about 10 million people and I'm right behind Arnold Schwarzenegger and Dr. Oz in terms of like most influential health voices in North America in a recent uh, analysis. And I'm just blown away. I'm this like former fat computer hacker who's good at, at <laughs> event correlation. And just like you said, like the documentary, I, I funded this thing out of pocket. I interviewed the world's top experts in medicine and mold and, and people like that. And the knowledge... Maybe it helped your relationship. Maybe it saved your husband's life. I don't know, but uh, it certainly saved my life to know this stuff. And, and so I, I just feel like a moral obligation 
to share the information. And I created Bulletproof Coffee because I couldn't drink coffee because normal coffee tweaks me out. So I made coffee without mold in it. And I feel really good when I drink it. And I added brain octane to it because I could feel a difference. And now last year, 48 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee later, we, uh, I'd say that it's a little bit more than a trend. It's changed breakfast for hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, that's that's my story. <laughs> I, did, I already had a good job. I just started to do this because no one did it for me. Oh, well, thank goodness, because like you said, you did save my husband's health. And I mentioned in the intro before we started that we came across you and your work in 2014. So we were introduced to you when we went to LA to visit our friend Crosby Taylor, who's a mutual (laughs) friend of ours. Crosby, hey. He's amazing. So him and my husband are like, have this weird bromance thing going on. (laughs) We met up with Crosby in, in 2014 and he introduced us to this whole bulletproof way of life. And we devoured your books. We devoured every single podcast I think you've ever done. And you have become such a source of knowledge and wisdom for us. So I just wanted to thank you for that because it's really helped uh, our health and his health and, and get him better and thriving again. So I'm really grateful. I want you to take us back to when you made that discovery. I think you were in India when you made that discovery about fat. Can you take us back to that moment? I had been a raw vegan, uh, believe it or not, for, for, oh, geez. I was a raw vegan probably for six months when it started to really wreck my health, like it does for a lot of people. And I'd, I went to Nepal and then to Tibet. And when you're in Nepal and Tibet, you're not going to be a raw vegan. <laughs> There's basically raw yak that's been hanging in someone's mud hut for a while, and you're just not going to eat that raw. So, and that's not vegan anyway. I went back to eating meat and vegetables that were cooked. But I was in a remote part of Tibet. I decided I wanted to learn meditation from the masters. And Mount Kailash is a, a famous part of Tibet because... It's where the headwaters for the Indus and Ganges rivers start. And in the Buddhist religion and in the Hindu religion, it's where the gods live. So there's this holy mountain and you walk in a circle around the mountain over very rugged terrain at 18,000 feet elevation. And it's considered like a holy pilgrimage. I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I'm like, if you're going to go learn from the masters, how could I not go see this incredible jewel that's a five-day four-wheel drive from anywhere with civilization? And I, I did this kind of on a whim and I met, I'm in a pretty miserable shape. I mentioned arthritis and knee surgery. My knees are really heavily beat up. It's 10 degrees below zero uh, and that's Fahrenheit. So like substantially below freezing to the point my, my water bladder thing was freezing in my backpack and I didn't have enough water. And I stumbled into this mud hut where I was going to spend the night. And there's these little Tibetan ladies about half as tall as I am. And and they hand me a little bowl of yak butter tea, which is just butter, tea, and a little bit of salt. But they, they churn it in a little wooden churn that they used to make butter. They would never just give you butter and tea. It has to be churned. And I drank it. And five minutes later... Like, I feel really good. Like this feeling of just calmness came over me. Like, this is impossible. And so I said, can I have more? And I drank like 20 glasses of this, or not glasses, they're little three ounce cup things. And I was just rejuvenated. 
And it stuck with me. I'm like, how could this be? And then I noticed that the wealthy Tibetans who had two yaks, one of the yaks was carrying a car battery hooked up to a blender. And they had a blender to blend their butter into their tea. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Why would a nomadic people invest in blenders? Like their primary nutrition is butter, tea, and barley flour. Like, Like, I don't even get it. But it stuck with me. And I came back to the States after three months over there. And I started experimenting. I'd given up coffee for several years because I would just get cranky and irritable when I had coffee. So I had a cup of coffee and I felt like a great golden god. I'm like, hallelujah, I've cured my coffee sensitivity. The world's a better place. And the next day I had a cup of coffee and it knocked me out. And it just occurred to me, wait a minute, it's not coffee. It's not me. It's that there's differences between the coffees. And I did a bunch of research and found out that America has no standards for toxins in coffee. These are mitochondrial toxins that come from mold during coffee fermentation. So I ended up putting in infrastructure in Guatemala and doing a bunch of lab testing on coffee to change how we create the green coffee, to make coffee that's exceptionally clean, that's that far exceeds any government's limits anywhere on the planet. And what I discovered is that When coffee is rejected from Europe, Japan, and China, they send it to the U.S. because we don't have laws to protect us. And I started blending coffee instead of tea in with butter. And I tried ordering yak butter, which isn't available. And I tried 25 different butters to find that only grass-fed butter works. And I tried coconut oil, and I tried MCT oil, and eventually came across brain octane oil, which raises ketones. So what this is is thousands of iterations that started with an idea at 18,000 feet elevation in Tibet from a people who've been meditating for thousands of years that was substantially upgraded (laughs) these other things and my very first blog post was hey this is really important like you guys need to try this you will feel something different and the reason that there were 48 million cups of bulletproof coffee served last year is that it just works and and it works unquestionably and and there are lots of people say it can't work therefore it doesn't and i'm like have you tried it and the answer is always no because when people try it they keep doing it Mm. Well, I had never drunk coffee in my life ever until Crosby was like, you've got to try this. And I was like, okay. And was just like, this is amazing. I felt so good. You're right. You don't get that brain fog and you don't get that crash that you get. Yeah. I mean, I've never drunk it. Neither has my husband. And we are massive fans. You touch a lot on how the fat not only fuels your brain, but can help you lose weight. Can you tell us about that? Losing weight has been one of the biggest challenges for me historically. I struggled so much with it. What happens when you lose weight, the way I did lose weight, you can starve yourself and there were various times when I could lose weight. When I starve myself and overexercise, I couldn't lose weight. But you lose 20 pounds, you gain 30. <laughs> you lose 30, you gain 40. And you do this yo-yo thing. And anyone who's had a few extra pounds to lose understands this. And it's you just it's so frustrating. You feel like a failure and you're always using your willpower. What's happening is that when you lose weight normally, the, the starvation way, you have a hormone called ghrelin that's responsible for hunger. And your ghrelin set point will be at your fat weight. So you'll always be as hungry as your fat weight unless you go into a state called ketosis. When you go into ketosis, which is when your body burns fat instead of sugar for fuel, ketosis effectively turns off ghrelin and resets your ghrelin set point to your current body weight. So when you have 
Bulletproof Coffee and you put the Brain Octane that's a part of the recipe into it, Brain Octane raises ketones. In most people, it raises ketones enough right then and there. Even if you had carbohydrates the night before, you don't need to be on a super special diet for this to work. It resets your hunger levels to your current body weight. So you can stop spending extra cycles trying to fight off hunger because you're hungry like a fat person, even though now you're thin. And this is something that ketosis does, and not specifically uh, bulletproof coffee. It's just that brain octane and bulletproof coffee helps you get ketone levels that are high enough to trigger this change. So what you're doing is you're hacking your hunger so that your hunger matches your current pant size. If you have the hunger of someone three pant sizes larger, you're going to fail like everyone who's ever lost weight by cutting calories. So, so this is a, a part of it. And also, since your body is equipped to burn fat for energy, when you teach your body that fat is a preferred energy source by eating sometimes no carbohydrates, but quite often by eating some carbohydrates, but fewer of them, and eating better quality carbohydrates, uh, like I recommend in Headstrong or in my first big book, The Bulletproof Diet. And The Bulletproof Diet has been written, it's been published in 10 languages and more than half a million copies sold. So it's, it's made a global impact. And it's like, look, if you just sometimes burn only fat, like say in the morning after you have your Bulletproof coffee, eventually your body gets good at burning fat and fat has more energy per calorie and people are sorry per calorie per gram and the same energy per calorie because calories are how we measure energy we've been tricked someone's told us you should eat a, a fat-free kale salad and you should have energy and feel good afterwards like newsflash there's like 70 calories in your bowl of kale that's not enough energy for your brain to work so you should feel tired and distracted it's because your body didn't have enough energy when you eat butter and avocado and macadamia nuts and yes grass-fed animal fat or just grass-fed steak your body gets the energy and you don't want the sugar. You feel good, but you can put your body into fat burning mode by eating fat. And when you do that, everything is so much easier. Mm, I couldn't agree more because that is definitely what has happened for me. Everything has become a lot easier. I feel more clear and my energy is more stable. And I wake up in the morning literally bursting with energy. My husband isn't at that point yet. Like he's still got a little bit of the mold to detox out of his body and he's got, you know, the lime stuff. So he looks at me and I literally jump out of bed and I'm like, <laughs> yes, it's a new day. And he looks at me and after he wants to punch me in the head, <laughs> he, you know, he kind of goes, I can't wait to feel the way that you feel every single day. And I'm like, darling, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. You know, and he, and he's definitely getting there. But that is one of the big differences for me since employing some of your strategies in the bulletproof way of life. But I'm curious to know, a lot of my listeners are women and the ketogenic diet is great for so many things. And the bulletproof way is great for so many things from reducing inflammation, which we've spoken about, losing weight. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Don't women need some carbohydrates for their hormones? Melissa, if you think you need carbohydrates, you're just weak. Okay, you didn't think I'd say that, did you? No. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, here's the deal. I have experimented extensively with ketosis, 
And my first book published by Wiley is called The Better Baby Book and has 1,300 references in it. And this is research that I did because my wife was infertile when I met her and we restored her fertility using nutrition and biohacking. She's a Karolinska-trained medical doctor. Karolinska is in Sweden. This is where the Nobel Prize for Medicine is awarded. So it's a top 10 med school in the world. And we had our children at age 39 and 42 without a medical assistance, like without the IVF and all that. She actually runs a fertility coaching wow. practice. So I know about women's fertility because and hormones. And well, A, because we talk about this at dinner every night because she's dealing with a global client base, but also because... I did the cooking. I designed the meals. I designed the nutrition program for this. So I care a lot about women because approximately 51% of the world is women. <laughs> and I have a daughter and a son. So here's, here's the thing. When women experience ketones, it is liberating because ketones turn off cravings and women have more cravings than men. And it has to do with the fact that your body is getting ready at any one time to measure the environment around you and decide, is it a good time to have a baby? If so, allocate resources to making babies. Guys are like, well, every three days we should allocate some resources to making some sperm. After that, we're good to go. So it's normal for women to have more cravings and to have problems with blood sugar at certain times of the month or at certain times of life, like perimenopause. And it's not fun. And that means ketones, which fill in the gaps when blood sugar is unstable, cause a huge reduction in anxiety. But if you only go into ketosis as a woman, you may be like some of the female guests on Bulletproof Radio. I have an Olympic champion who, uh, who's a woman, and she's like, I've been in ketosis for nine months straight, and life is good. But most of the clients I've dealt with, most of the listeners who are women, if they go in ketosis for more than a month, their sleep goes all to hell. Their hormones go to hell. They start feeling unwell. In fact, I did three months of essentially zero carbs, one serving of broccoli a day. The rest was fat and a little bit of meat trying to replicate an Eskimo diet. I gave myself food allergies. I ruined my sleep. I woke up 12 times a night without remembering that I was waking up, but my sleep monitoring system told me. And you actually make the lining of your gut and your tears and, and the stuff that keeps your sinuses moist, you make that out of carbohydrates. So the Bulletproof Diet and the recommendations in Headstrong are around cyclical ketosis and what I call background ketosis. If you're putting brain octane in your Bulletproof coffee or you're pouring it on your meals, you always have a few ketones to provide that stable energies, especially in the neurons of the brain. The neurons want ketones more than they want glucose from eating sugar. So my, my message for women and for men is, look, sometimes don't eat any carbs and go deeper into ketosis. The rest of the time, have some brain octane, and you'll have some ketones. You'll feel the benefits. What will happen then, as you feel these benefits, is you can eat some carbs. If you eat carbs for breakfast, expect to have cravings all day. If you have some carbs, but not a lot, with dinner, sweet potato. Or if it's compatible with your biology, some people do really well on, on normal white potatoes. About 20-30% of people, they're completely kryptonite. It's a, a genetic thing. And maybe it's uh, uh, white rice, something else I recommend, not brown rice, and things like sweet potato. Or heaven forbid, sometimes you just say, I'm going to have some sugar. I'm going for it. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> you do that only one meal a day, and you do it at dinner, it, it gives you all you need to build hormones. 
and it helps with sleep because it helps you make serotonin. So if you do carbs, low glycemic carbs, do them once a day and make sure you have some ketones present the rest of the time. And that completely turns off cravings and then you feel the way you feel, which is like this just bounce out of energy. But if you make the mistake of doing zero carbs forever and you don't cycle in and out, you probably won't like how you feel. In fact, it's well documented that your menstrual cycle will shut down if you're in ketosis without breaks for long periods of time. I don't believe that shutting down your menstrual cycle is good for you. Animals that are healthy have healthy reproduction. Animals that are stressed stop reproducing. And I believe that unending ketosis, unless you're an epileptic or you're biologically unusual, uh, is probably not a good strategy for most people. Mm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do you know one thing that I absolutely love? One of the recipes in your book is your get some ice cream. And (laughs) I love how you say that that really helped restore Lana's fertility. And it's one of my favorite recipes. So thanks for putting that in there. And thank you for all the research that you, that you poured into restoring her fertility. Cause it's really, it's really helpful. I haven't read her, uh, the better baby book, but that's my next read. I think I would really love to dive deeper into that. I will tell you the, the one mistake if we were to republish that book now, and, and this was the first book about epigenetics. It's like, okay, now that we know the environment decides how healthy your kids' genes will be, how do we change the environment? Like that was the story behind it. And Headstrong is the amplification of that to say, now that we know that the environment controls your brain, how do you change the environment so your brain will do what you want? But if I was to go back and and update the better baby book i would say you know for women especially during those three months before conception have more carbs than i recommended and have them at dinner and just that one change where you just increase them a little bit would probably help but at the time it, it, it was the very height of research and what we did and what works Mm. And is that, do you think, across the board or more so if a woman is considering conceiving and she is having hormonal imbalances, then do that, the carbs at night? Or do you think across the board? I think across the board. Mm. And it's not that you want to have like a big dessert. It's that you want to have some starch with your dinner or a piece of fruit after dinner. No one benefits by having, you know, a a huge piece of cake after dinner uh, or having, you know, a midnight Mm. snack with a bunch of sugar in it. That's, that's just bad news. And there are people who will tell you, you know, eat, uh, eat your carbs at night, uh, you know, after it's dark. And, And that's, that doesn't seem to match the research I've seen. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about fat and brain cognition. I was one of those people who thought my intelligence was fixed, like you mentioned in your brand new book, but you say that this is not the case. So how so? They literally taught you in medical school 20, 30 years ago that, look, you're born with X number of brain cells and that's what you got. Since then, our advances in imaging cellular cellular level things, the ability to see what's happening to even put radioactive tagged sugar in the brain, which I've actually done in my own brain so you can see what's happening in there. We know that the brain is always rebuilding itself. It's so active in there and that when you do something regularly, the brain changes. You meditate regularly, the brain changes. It actually causes myelin, this insulation to form in new parts of the brain. Insulated nerves conduct electricity faster. And at the the 40 Years of Zen Executive Brain Training Center that I run, we can do things that turn up your neuroplasticity. There's a compound called BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor. 
this is something. When it's high, you have a young neuroplastic brain. And when it's low, it's harder for your brain to change itself. So exercise raises BDNF. In fact, a lot of the things in Headstrong are around increasing this. And we've got a, a bulletproof supplement called Neuromaster that raises your BDNF levels four times more than exercise. So I'm like, I think I'll exercise and I'll take some supplements. And it seems to work. My hippocampal volume, this is a major part of the brain that shrinks as you get old. I'm in the 86th percentile for my age. Given that I have all of these toxic exposures and that I had serious brain toxicity issues on multiple studies, it's pretty shocking. It's because the brain's plastic and because when you put the right inputs into the brain from movement, from exercise, from food, from light, from meditation, from all the different things you do every day, the brain will radically rewire itself. So I'm calmer, I'm happier, I'm smarter, I'm more focused at 44, and I'm far more energetic now than I've ever been in my entire life. I have more energy than people 20 years younger than me who work for me. And I am incredibly grateful for this because I was old when I was young, and I'm young when I'm middle-aged, and I'm planning to live to at least 180 years old, and I'm not going to be old and infirm when I'm 180. I'm going to be kicking ass. Yes, and running around with your kids and, you know, bursting with energy. That's what it's about. My great-grandkids, maybe great-great-grandkids. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you touched on energy, and energy isn't something that I personally struggle with right now, but a lot of people do. And you talk a lot about mitochondria. For people who don't know what mitochondria are, what is it and why is it so important? Well, about two billion years ago, Some ancient red bacteria, shaped like little pills, merged with another kind of cell. And there's great argument about what kind of cell or what kind of organism they merged with. And we like to tell ourselves, well, our cells harnessed these red bacteria to become our power plants, or they they became our batteries. But the real story is that two billion years ago, these little red bacteria found some other cells and said, let's take over. And we'll be the power plants and we'll run everything because we control the power. (laughs) And so you fast forward to today, 10% of your body weight is these ancient bacteria that are now a part of us. But they sense the environment around you and they're sensitive to everything. Light, sound, EMF, vibration, food, temperature, timing. And they control your circadian clock that decides when is nighttime, when is daytime, how well will you sleep. They decide when cells replicate. They decide when cells die. They make hormones for you. They actually manufacture pregnenolone. They control the energy responsible for making all of your neurotransmitters. They decide whether neurons fire or whether neurons just sit there. They decide everything that matters in the hardware of your body. That's kind of scary. If you're a bacteria, you only have to do three things to stay alive. You have to run away from, hide, or kill scary things. You have to eat everything, and you have to have sex and reproduce. If you do those three things, you're a successful bacteria. Now, I just got to ask you, Melissa, have you ever done anything you're ashamed of that wasn't one of those three behaviors? No, no, I don't know. I have to think about this. No, no, probably not. Probably not. And and if so, I'd say, well, that sounds like you're procrastinating, which is actually just hiding from something, right? And what, <laughs> what's going on is that when you have a quadrillion ancient bacteria 
running those three decisions millions of times a second based on what they detect in the world around you, you get your core behaviors that you're always struggling with, hunger, cravings, anger and emotional swings, brain fog and fatigue, all of those. So wait a minute, if all of those things are coming from these ancient bacteria, they're not working in our best interest. They're working to make sure that the Petri dish that is you doesn't get eaten by tigers, doesn't starve to death, and reproduces to make sure that there's more homes for bacteria. That means if your ancient mitochondria are unhappy, you will be unhappy. And since they don't really give a crap about you, you can send them signals that will make them behave themselves. And one of the signals is you calm yourself down, you meditate, that'll change them. But you also make an environment for them where they're well-fed and they're not stressed by useless stress. And all of a sudden, your levels of anxiety and distraction and just urges to smack someone who probably deserves it, they go way down and it frees up so much energy in your head that you can apply that energy towards personal development, towards being kind to your kids, towards not flipping off that guy in traffic who really deserves it. Like all of these things are possible and they come from hacking your environment. So we've spoken a little bit about hunger and I kind of find it quite hilarious because I don't know what feeling hungry is like anymore. Since eating this way, I say to my husband, I'm like, what do hunger pains feel like? I forget what they feel like, but I used to be that person that couldn't leave the house without a bag of nuts or a piece of fruit. I was always hungry. So I love that implementing some more of this way of living and the brain octopus really helps you stay satisfied. And when you get into that more ketosis way of living and, and eating, hunger is no longer an issue. What I think is happening is that hunger still can become an issue, but hunger is something different than we thought it was. If you primarily eat carbs and sugar and even protein and you don't eat enough of the right fats, you experience cravings. As soon as your energy starts to go down, your body's like, I got nothing here. So your mitochondria start realizing there's a survival level, you know, bacterial emergency. I have no more fuel. We could die. Therefore, tell the, the Petri dish that we live in that it better go eat right now or uh, it's the end of the world. And then you're profoundly hungry. Well, what hunger actually feels like is, you know, I guess it's time to eat. If I don't eat for a couple hours, I'll be fine. But at some point soon, I should do it. I'm curious to know now, is that how you operate on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you feel those hunger pangs or is it more, oh, okay, it's lunchtime? It's literally, oh, it's lunchtime. I guess I could eat. <laughs> and when I'll feel like true hunger is sometimes, say, I'm, I'm, going to New York in a couple of days for Headstrong. I'm doing a big series of speaker events around the country. And if I'm going to be interviewed by the media for eight hours straight, like back to back, and then I'm going to go on stage and talk to four or 500 people, that is a huge amount of focus and cognitive burden. And if I don't eat during the day, and when I say eat, bulletproof coffee is fine. I make these bulletproof bars with collagen and brain octane that just turn off hunger. But if I just do nothing at that level of cognitive demand, I get to a certain point where I'm like, 
it's getting hard for me to bring it all the way. Like I can still function, but I know I'm not at like a hundred percent. I'm running at 80% and that's okay. It's hunger. But I also know I have the ability to bring it for the rest of the day without taking another bite of energy. And I will kick ass and you know, the New York times or whoever's interviewing me, it'll, it'll still be a good interview, but it might not be my best. Whereas before when I was fat and I didn't have ketones, I would end meetings where it's like there's 10 people in the meeting and it's my meeting and I'm at work. I'm like, guys, it's 1145. I know we're supposed to go till 12, but if I don't go eat right now, I'm going to kill one of you and eat you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm ending the meeting. I have to go and I go downstairs. I'd eat like a fat free chicken breast and I'd still be hungry, but at least I had something. And like my life is so different now. I, I fly sometimes like I flew, I flew to Abu Dhabi. Uh, in UAE from Vancouver, which is one of the longest continuous flights you could do. I had Bulletproof coffee before I left and that was it. And and I went on like this 16 or 18 hour flight and I just didn't eat anything. And the stewardess thought I was going to die. I'm like, I'll just have more water. I'm fine. Wow. Like that was what was best for my biology. And it was just okay. And, And to have that level of freedom as a formerly obese guy with massive cravings and like constantly thinking about what am I going to put in my mouth next it's just, it's a different world. And it's because I used ketones in my bulletproof coffee before I took off because I put brain octane in there. Mm, it must be so liberating to go from being obese to where you are now. Just, oh, wow. It's kind of funny though, when we're used to piloting our body based on cravings, um, I was at a Vishen Lakhani's Mind Valley conference recently with a, a younger woman from Australia. She was maybe 22, 23, and she ate one of the bulletproof bars that's full of brain octane, and she had it for breakfast. And this is uh, 200 calories or something. And it turned off her hunger so effectively. And she's running a conference, which is very demanding. She's physically moving all over the place, organizing things for hundreds of people. And at three in the afternoon, she's like, I really don't like how I feel. Like I, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And, and I looked at her, I'm like, what have you eaten today? She said, I just ate your bar. And I'm like, you've been running at 100% for eight hours on 200 calories. What you're experiencing now is called hunger. And she had never felt hunger. She'd only felt cravings. And she's like, but I don't feel hungry. I said, no, you don't feel any cravings. Eat something. And so she ate another one of those bars. And then her energy was totally back to normal in five minutes. That's the difference between hunger and I'm going to die if I don't eat some candy right now. Like the second one's a lie. And the first one is actually what happens when you truly run out of energy. Mm, And those bars are amazing. Oh my gosh, I love them. They're just absolutely delicious. So I am curious to know how you approach this with your children. Obviously, there's a lot of people that have kids that are listening and maybe they want to start to implement the bulletproof lifestyle into their family, but they have kids who also eat the way that they currently eat. How can they inspire them to also jump on the bandwagon? This is one of my favorite conversations. My kids are seven and nine. They've been bulletproof their their whole lives. And they still have you know, friends who eat whatever their friends eat. And I actually told my kids the other day, you know, now you know what McDonald's is. And 
why don't we go there and you guys can eat something? And inside, I'm like, God, I don't want them to eat antibiotic, tainted soy, MSG, fried crap. Like, and I'm like, but you know, it would be okay. And it's designed to to taste really good. You might not feel good afterwards, but it would be okay. And and they said, Daddy, we won't do it. We like how we feel. We don't want to eat junk food. And so that there isn't like that that secret desire in my kids. But we do have times when you know, my son says, I'm not going to eat my, I'm not going to eat this. I don't like it. And he said that one time. And I said, oh, Alan, I'm so proud of you. I'm really happy. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, intermittent fasting is really good for you. It turns out you won't die even if you go 30 days without any food at all. So you've decided to do something that makes you stronger. You're going to eat nothing until your next meal. And so good for you. Like, this is fantastic. And he looks at me like, I'm just crazy. And he starts eating his vegetables, right? (laughs) So what's going on here is if your kids don't want to do this sort of thing, let your kids see you practice intermittent fasting once and cheat. Have bulletproof coffee before an intermittent fast. You won't be hungry. You won't care that you're fasting. And make a big deal, kids. Today, I'm going to skip a meal or two, and I'm going to do it to get stronger. I'm going to teach my body that it's okay. And don't ask them to participate. And then the next time they throw a tantrum that they didn't get their macaroni and cheese gluten bombs with MSG hydrogenated fat or whatever they're used to eating, you could just say, oh, in our house now, the rules are we eat what's on the table, we eat what's served, and we eat food that makes us strong. And if you don't want to eat the food that makes you strong, it is totally good with me. But you don't get something else because you're not going to die until you go a month without food. So like, that's what we do. And you'll find that kids like to feel good. They like to feel energy. When kids get brain octane, and we put it in every meal, we just like pour some on the food. We put it in the vegetables. We, we put it in the bulletproof coffee. And yeah, both kids get two ounces of bulletproof coffee each. And I, they do it just because I want them to have brain octane because kids who aren't food obsessed will play and they'll be nice to each other. They'll focus, they'll color, they'll go to school and they aren't food obsessed. And kids who eat an apple for breakfast and don't get fat and protein, it, an hour or two later, they can't sit still. They can't focus. Every fiber in their being is telling them, go do something, look around and find something sweet, put it in your mouth. They're not going to study. They're not going to pay attention. They're not going to behave. And so I consider it mean uh, to keep kids away from butter. Uh, My daughter, when she was three, she sat on Santa's lap for the first time at the mall. And and he says, what do you want for Christmas, little girl? And she says, I want my own stick of grass-fed salted butter. No, she didn't. (laughs) She did. I have pictures of this. That's brilliant. And Santa looked at me like, is like, is something wrong with you? And, and I just kind of nodded. He goes, okay. And Christmas morning, she has her bike and her little you know, play kitchen set and all that. That doesn't matter. She opens her stick of grass-fed butter, and her eyes light up, and she holds it above her head like an Olympic torch, runs around the house screaming, un- takes the foil off of it, and just takes a big bite of it like a candy bar. And then puts it in the fridge and forgets about it. But for her, it was like, I have all the fat I could ever want. Life is good. And my kids have always just looked at butter as a food source. It's just another thing that's that's there. And they have no guilt. They have no shame. They eat a ton of veggies. To them, candy is when you eat a ribeye steak, that strip of fat, the really juicy, delicious part. That's what candy is. And they know Halloween candy. They just trade it for dark chocolate. So you can teach your kids what it feels like to feel amazing. And they want nothing more than to be powerful. And when they associate 
fat and quality food and vegetables with power instead of with nausea, you'll be fine. Mm, yeah, I have a, an 11 year old stepson and he has your bulletproof ice cream for breakfast. Um, so he's, <laughs> nice. get, and, and you, you know, when we first told him about this many years ago, he was like, what? Ice cream for breakfast? And I was like, little does he know. And now we, you know, he knows about, you know, fat for fuel and he is very educated on all of this. He's also incredibly smart. He's in honors maths and honors English. He doesn't have an ADD issue like, a, you know, a lot of the kids in his class. And he's the same, you know, he, he goes trick-or-treating and I love you gave us the little tip about trading in all their candy for dark chocolate. So we started doing that. And it's it's brilliant. You know, he comes back and he, he would much rather have the bulletproof ice cream than the junk that he gets, you know, when he does trick-or-treating. But we didn't want to, you know, that's a fun experience for them to go do that. But he doesn't want to feel crap either. You know, kids want the energy. They, they don't want to be tired and they want to be switched on. There's another advantage on Halloween, and my daughter figured this out this year. So I let her go trick-or-treating, and she has a huge bag of candy. And then she said, I'm going to trade candy with all my friends. And she gives her friends all the best candy and takes all the worst candy from them. So she, it, like, I don't care. I, we're not going to, we don't know what to do with all this, this sugary stuff full of like glyphosate and corn syrup and fake stuff. Uh, so I, it's not really food. So she, then she's, she trades that for her dark chocolate. And then I just take that stuff out of circulation. <laughs> we just throw it away because mm. it's, it's not stuff that I would give to people I don't like. Yeah. And to her, though, she's the most popular kid because she's giving away all the, quote, good candy to her friends who are eager to get it, and she knows she wins anyway, and she feels really good about it. And I told her, too, you can have 20 bucks or whatever the right exchange rate for candy is, or you can have the dark chocolate. It's it's all good to me, and she usually picks the chocolate, and sometimes she wants the money, and, like, it's all it's all good, but it's her choice, and she doesn't feel like she's missing out. Mm, exactly. There was actually in, uh, I live in Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia at the moment. And nice. before I tell that story, I think you should come to Australia and do a conference. I know you would have a lot of fans down here that would love to hear you speak. So I definitely think you should do that. I might try and get a petition going for you. <laughs> I may come, I'm probably going to come out for the Tony Robbins conference, the Unleash the Power Within. Uh, I've been invited to speak there. So if I can arrange travel and kid stuff, uh, I will definitely be in Australia. Oh, that's awesome news. Um, I was going to say as well, there is this one dentist near where I lived and he's not a holistic dentist. He's just a generic dentist. But at Halloween, this past Halloween that's gone, any child that brought in their candy, uh, he exchanged it. Like I think it was a couple of kilos was worth a few dollars. So he exchanged their candy for money. And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> so, you know, there's lots of little things that you can do for the kids to, you know, not deprive them of that experience, but, and still keep it fun. But yeah, you know, save their health in the process. Um, so I would love to do some rapid fire questions now. Being a biohacker and always working on yourself, there's probably loads of things that you're wanting to improve or work on within yourself. But what's something that you are currently working on or would like to improve within yourself that maybe you haven't told anyone else or maybe, you know, you wouldn't want anyone to really know about? Well, I, I tend to invest a lot of 
a lot of my energy and time into uh, doing the things that, that prov- uh, produce the most results. And I've spent a lot of time uh, lately with 40 Years of Zen, uh, and I have actually got a full a full setup here. So when I get a chance to meditate, I can go to like really deep places that normally take many hours of work, and, and I can do it pretty quickly. Uh, so the difficulty I'm coming up with is that I am you know, CEO of a venture-backed, rapidly growing startup. I have two EAs who manage my calendar, and every minute of every day is allocated. And I have time for uh, for the kids and for my wife, Lana, and I have back-to-back, like every second of the day is allocated. So I have all the toys, but one of the things that the most successful CEOs and executives have set aside is, is time to think. And I have set it up so that I'm so efficient and effective that there's just there's too much doing and not enough. Like, you know, I have two hours set aside today where I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to ponder <laughs> and I'm going to allow the good ideas. Like, like I've turned up my creativity and, and intuition to levels that I didn't even know I could do. But those only work when you're doodling <laughs> or you're going for a walk and looking at trees. And so for me, the challenge this year is setting aside enough quality time doing nothing <laughs> so that the really good stuff uh, can can come out of my unconscious and I can make it real. And I, I even have like software that trains you to do that. It's, it's called NeuroMiner software. Uh, and it's like, how do you mine your unconscious for good ideas? How do you train yourself to remember those ideas? So I'm like, I'm all trained, but there's just no time for that. So for me, it's it's really about setting aside time to do nothing when you have something really good and impactful that that might help thousands of people that you could be doing but to just sit back and say i'm going to let that rest i'm going to allow something even bigger to come out of my brain and then i'm going to do that and that's a real challenge for me well that's good i'm excited to see what comes out of you doing that me too (laughs) so let's pretend for one moment now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, this besides your amazing books and Lana's Better Baby book, let's pretend they're already in the school curriculum. What is one book that you would put in the school curriculum for every single teenager to read? I would give them Robert Greene's book, and I'm, I'm questioning which one, either Mastery or the 48 Laws of Power. And I'm going to go with the 48 Laws of Power. And, and Robert Greene's been on Bulletproof Radio. And he's a, a profound author who studied for uh, many years how powerful people get powerful and stay powerful and boiled it down to 48 rules. And the reason I want everyone in high school to read this book is simply that when you know these techniques you can see them and you'll know when they're being used against you and you can defend against them. And that means that it'll control how you vote, it'll control how you spend your money, and you'll know when you're being manipulated. It's powerful knowledge and it completely changed my career as a young man because it helped me understand the weird looking things that successful people do that just don't make any sense unless you know the rules. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to check that out. Sounds amazing. Let's talk about your day. I am obsessed with morning routines. I'm obsessed with learning about how people I love and admire prime themselves for the day. So I know that you're 
daily non-negotiables or your morning routine may be extensive being a biohacker, but can you give us a little rundown or a snapshot overview of your morning routine and how you prime yourself to be set up for success? One of the first things uh, that matters is just knowing your chronotype. And Michael Bruce has a uh, website. It's called The Power of When Quiz, W-H-E-N. I don't have any financial relationship with it. But it's just a powerful thing. There's 15% of us are like, are like you. You bounce out of bed at like 6 in the morning, bubbling with energy. And 15% of people are what he calls a wolf. They're night owls and they should sleep in. And 15% of people never sleep well. They're meant to be the sentries of our species. And the rest of us are like up at a normal time and go to sleep at a normal time. Knowing which of those you are totally dictates your morning routine. I'm a wolf. I wrote headstrong mostly between 11 p.m. and 4 or 5 a.m. under special lighting so I didn't destroy my circadian rhythm and all that. But that's where everything magic happens. And I don't have dysfunctional sleep. I am wired that way like 15% of the population. That means... My kids go to school in the middle of the damn night. Like, I don't even know why they start school so early. Uh, for you, they, why, why don't they start earlier? So I wake up at 7.45, which is just enough time for me to make bulletproof coffee for the kids, take a handful of supplements that go best with bulletproof coffee, and drive the kids to school. When I wake up at 7.45, I use a progressive alarm clock that senses my sleep so that it knows that I'm already almost awake, so I don't get jolted awake. I get gently woken when I'm already out of a dream state. That makes a huge difference for the quality of the day. And I leave my phone on airplane mode. I don't turn it on, I don't turn it on where I can get a signal until I've dropped the kids off at school. So my only job is to be a dad. I don't do special breathing. I don't do special meditation. I don't do anything except parenting because it let me get more sleep at the time my body needed sleep. Get the kids to school, drive home, and then I do the things to take care of myself. What I'll normally do is I will get on the Bulletproof Vibe, which vibrates 30 times a second. It's like a vibration plate that is the equivalent of going for a much longer walk. So it's basically whole body exercise. I stand on this in front of a tanning lamp, not a tanning lamp that makes your skin dark for cosmetic reasons. It's actually tuned to create vitamin D. Light exposure is one of the biggest factors for making your mitochondria work well. And since I live in Canada, I don't get enough light. If it's winter, I do that. If it's summer, I just go for a walk in sunlight with my shirt off and no sunglasses on so that my mitochondria get a signal that says, hey, guys, it's morning. <laughs> and the light itself affects how the mitochondria make energy for the rest of the day. And while I'm doing that, I may get on the phone with my assistants and plan the day, and I uh, may go do something else. There's about 45 minutes every morning set aside for upgrade time. And if I, uh, if I finish that, I may hop on my Vasper. This lets me in 21 minutes get the equivalent of two and a half hours worth of cardio. And I'm doing a cardio exercise with ice water coursing through compression bands on my arms and legs so my lactic acid builds up. Sounds complex and terrible. It actually feels really good because it keeps oxygenated blood in my organs and brain. So basically what I've just done is a whole lot of exercise and biological tuning. I'm full of energy. I put oxygen in my brain. I feel really good. And then I jump into my day. And what time is that that you, that you start your day? I don't generally take calls before 9.30. Yeah, great. And what was the machine that you jump on where you strap the ice? 
That is called a VASPER, V-A-S-P-E-R. Mm-hmm. And it, it's used by like astronaut training people, some other recovery people. And what's going on there is when you restrict blood flow and you chill the body, blood that would have gone to cool you down in your skin stays in the middle of your body. And that's when you want this hyper-oxygenated blood. So your pituitary gland responds, people's testosterone and growth hormone go way up. And it's, it's kind of shocking that you can have such a big difference just by changing temperature and compression and, and timing on things. But the studies are showing about two and a half hours worth of cardio in 20 minutes. I love that ratio because, frankly, I don't ever have time for two and a half hours of cardio. If I did, I'd be playing with my kids or I'd be on a bike ride with my kids. You ever gone bike riding with a seven-year-old? It's the opposite of cardio. <laughs> yes. And what was the name of the device that that wakes you up slowly and softly in the morning? It's called a progressive alarm clock or progressive wakening alarm clock. For that, I use an app on my iPhone. It's called Sleep Cycle. Here's a caveat. You must not have your phone turned on at night. It needs to be in airplane mode. So my phone's in airplane mode. It sits on the bedside table and it uses the microphone on the phone to tell when I toss and turn. And that's enough information for it to know when I'm actually about to wake up. Mm, my husband has a Delta sleeper. I'm not sure if that's a similar sort of thing, but I'll have to tell him about that. It's kind of related. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I'm just blown away with everything that you have shared and I'm so grateful. I'm so excited for your next book to be out into the world, Headstrong. I just can't wait to share it and buy it for all of my friends and families. You have been such an inspiration to me and my husband and we have got so many people on the Bulletproof bandwagon and I'm not just saying that, like we really have brought a lot of our family and our friends on board and mainly just by us living and and practicing the bulletproof lifestyle and they see the changes within us within our energy and it inspires them so i just wanted to say thank you so much i want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing for being so prolific in all of your research and being so generous with your time and everything that you put out in the world i'm so grateful dave and i really hope this year that uh, crosby is trying to get Nick and I to come to the Bulletproof Conference at the end of the year. So I really hope to be there and meet you. If not, let us know when you come out to Australia for Tony. All right. Sounds like a deal. Melissa, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. So inspired. I wanted to keep talking to him and could have spoken to him for hours. What an amazing human being and a really beautiful person. Such amazing energy. So lovely. Before we got on the call, he was just so lovely and so caring and generous with his time. Oh, I just love him even more now. And I'm so excited for you guys to check out his books and to dive into everything that we spoke about. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes because that means I can get even more amazing and inspiring people like Dave on the show. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who you would like me to interview and make sure you tag me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that Dave and I mentioned in today's episode, 
You can check out in the show notes at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 18. And you can also listen to all the other podcasts there. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today. I'm sure you got loads out of this episode. I sure did. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.